0: listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter, and be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show.
1: And welcome back to Real Presence Live. I'm Teresa Curley, and I'm here with Janine Bitson. Uh, And we're just having a wonderful conversation today about the theme of restoration. Uh, Before the break, we were talking about an opportunity to be restored in the Diocese of Duluth. So, if you haven't had a chance to check out that website yet, you can go to dioceseduluth.org and see how you can get involved. Yeah, in the Diocese of
2: Duluth, they have it open to their parishioners first, which makes sense. But Breezy Point Resort has a lot of space. So it could easily go beyond. So if you're from a different diocese, don't hesitate to get on that waiting list uh, because it it would be a really awesome weekend uh, to just refresh yourself, to refill your cup, so to speak. Because we do get tired and we do get hungry, and the best place to find that healing in in that tiredness or that hunger you know is to fill it with jesus
1: yeah so last week janine uh real presence radio staff had a retreat just like a day of recollection and it was led by a father bob schreiner so it was a beautiful retreat and one thing he talked about was just time seems to fly by all the time we just were so busy and he spoke about um the way to kind of like make pa- like time pause is to really just reflect and bring God into the moment of whatever you're doing. Um, And for me, I find it so difficult in winter particularly to do that because everything's like so bleak and things like that but there is a grace to be found in the season and just in the beauty of restoring all things to God. Yeah, it's okay for us to want to hibernate a little. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I've been
2: hibernating in my basement with my seed catalogs and things like that and I'm actually... It'll be here before we know it, really. I love it. (laughs) But why not throw a retreat in there, too, right? For sure.
1: For sure. Well, I'm super excited for our next guest, uh, who's from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And to be honest, I wasn't sure how to introduce you. I wasn't sure if I should say Dr. Deacon Glenn Ritter or Deacon Dr. Glenn Ritter. So, Deacon, could you (laughs) tell us who you are?
3: (laughs) Well, I've been a doctor a lot longer than I've been a deacon. So, oh, either way, I
1: think <laughs> it's all It's reciprocal.
3: <laughs> That's right.
1: Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, could you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are?
3: Well, I am a farm boy from Nebraska to start with, and uh, decided to explore the possibility of medicine, and thankfully, that appeared to be God's plan, because it worked, <laughs> and uh, got married and started having children, and that's when I was questioning, how do I do this whole practice of medicine thing as a good Catholic? Mm. I wasn't really challenged until the kids showed up, and you started educating children, and you go, am I really following what I'm teaching the children? Mm. And so, after the fourth child, convicted that, yes, I need to do this better, and uh, subsequently picked up the true magisterium, and carried it through my through my practice, with the faith showing up in my practice, and I've never been happier in my life, and nor have I ever had such a good population of patients as I do now. Actually, nuclear families, both married families, uh, and it's just been a real grace. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And then about five years ago, I was ordained a deacon. My father was a permanent deacon in the Omaha Diocese, and my father-in-law was a permanent deacon in the Omaha Diocese, so it was kind of a natural thing that my father and I talked about years before he died, that not if I was going to become a deacon, but when. You know, when are you going to enter the deacon? And I go, Dad, there should be an if there, but um, not in his mind there wasn't, and later on there wasn't in my mind either.
2: Here I am. That is so beautiful. Uh, really cool. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to go, Dr. Deacon Glenn Ritter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's it's just so cool that how God calls us uh, in, in all of us in different ways. But for you being in the medical field to also be in the diaconate it is just a very, very awesome thing because. Um, you have a way that can lead, can help educate the parishioners uh, in a deeper way as a medical professional, but also as an ordained, um, you know, holy man. So um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what was it that inspired your decision to be an NFP, a natural family planning doctor only?
3: Well, and as I tell everybody that. In medicine, or thinking about going to medicine. They go, they're not going to teach you about natural family planning. This is a culture of death society, including medicine, and they never talk to you about that. As a matter of fact, they tell you, keep your faith tucked inside somewhere because you might offend somebody. Mm. Uh, and the whole thought was, you know, that you're going to save yourself some grief and uh, possibly lawsuits. If you offend people, then all of a sudden you're going to get sued more than people who are, are practicing and actually showing their faith. And I started thinking that, okay, that doesn't seem to be the case. The better relationship you have with a patient is the least likely you're going to have problems with lawsuits uh, because something didn't work out quite the way you planned, even though you did everything the way it should have been. And so I started really thinking about that, and I was also asked by the diocese way back before I even thinking about it, that I was teaching high school kids about abstinence before marriage and Then our bishop at this time was Archbishop Carlson, and he wanted somebody to teach the Creighton model natural family planning, and the invitation kept showing up on my desk at the office (laughs) back when paperwork was a thing, and I couldn't throw the invitation away. I felt guilty if I did that, so I just stuck it on the pile, and every once in a while it would surface, and I would give it some thought, and I would stick it back on the pile. And so finally... We were at the time when my fourth child was conceived, and I was thinking, well, that's enough children for us. I was seriously thinking about, you know, Homani Vitae. It was actually the 25th anniversary of Homani Vitae as well. And I go, I'm going to read this document and see if I can find some loopholes (laughs) to see if I can contracept. And I even went to an older priest that was a really good friend. And he looks at me and says, why do you have four kids? I think you've done enough. You can go ahead and understand. And I go, wait a minute, you're not supposed to tell me that? Mm. And I really dug into it and finally reluctantly went to Omaha, to the Pope Paul VI Institute, to audit the the education for the Creighton model. And it just so happened that uh, I was there with a whole bunch of very holy men, not deacons, but holy men. Okay, and we were doing literature the hours and within two days of the first one week of a two-week series i was convicted and i have never contracepted anybody my family or patients since then Mm. and that's how we became and the only and it just completely graced me people said i'd probably lose patients i would lose income and just the opposite happened i gained income i have marvelous population of patients
2: that that is really beautiful. You know, the document *Humani Vitae* for our listeners, if you haven't read it or seen anything about it, it is so beautiful and profound. It, it it's prophetic, really. When you look back at the document that Pope Paul VI wrote uh, *Humani Vitae*, he foreshadowed he. to a certain extent prophesies what would happen if we went down this road and so many of those things have come to fruition um, that he warned against. So for our listeners, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Deacon, uh, could you... Either either one. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'm doing them in unison, but uh, Deacon Ritter, could you share with us uh, the beauty of this document? Uh, We have, you know, three minutes before break, but I think it's so important for our listeners to really understand what it it encompasses.
3: Well, it's very interesting how the document actually came to be with the consortium, the committee that the Pope, all the six put together and basically asking some questions that were legit for all all people about what's going on in society. And uh, the commission actually thought that, yeah, we should allow contraception, and then through the divine intervention with Pope Paul Sixth, he said, no, we shouldn't, and here's why. Mm. And talk about all the problems of society said, not only are we not going to help those problems, we're going to make them all worse. And the last thing was, above all, We're going to see a devaluation of human life if contraception becomes readily available. And that's pretty easy to see that has come true. And then he challenged the scientists, families, everybody. I want you to figure out how to work this. We got so many other things figured out about our bodies. We should be able to figure this out too. And that's the challenge that he left us with.
2: Mm -hmm. And it works. Yeah, yeah. And, and here you have the Cretan method and natural family planning. Um, so that's just really beautiful. So, how has your approach to healthcare been affected by your faith and your vocation as a deacon?
3: Well, one of the other things that I do is I'm, a, I'm the medical director of a crisis pregnancy center here in town, and it totally changed how I approach crisis pregnancy somebody has an unexpected pregnancy I used to figure out how I'm going to say this or that and now whenever I walk into a room I say Holy Spirit come to me and I go into the room and the first thing I say to the patient is congratulations I understand mm-hmm. you're pregnant and the looks on their face is so puzzled because I just threw a total different perspective at this and you go know, well my hell pregnancy is not a bad thing is it
2: mm-hmm.
3: and so that's how I present. There's a positive thing here. Now let's figure out how we can make it work.
2: I love it. It, it is. It's, uh, that's really the definition of being pro-life, right? You know, it's. Um, yeah. we as people who believe in the sanctity of life, the dignity of life, you know, all of us, you know, can make mistakes or have things like, That are in a different order than what the ideal order would be. Obviously, we have rules and guidance in the church, but sometimes it's not right ordered how we live our lives. But it doesn't mean that it can't be a beautiful gift, you know. And so to identify that that is a child of God that's been created and that you have the beautiful opportunity to be a holy mother and uh, you know, a earthly mother and help lead your child to heaven. I mean, that is just a beautiful gift and so awesome. Exactly. Thank you so much for for greeting oh, yeah. crisis pregnancy like that, because uh, sometimes by no fault of their own, you know, they're in these situations and yet they're made to feel like they're um, just uh, trash, and it's not true. Mm, for sure. Right.
3: And well, I usually try and present it as unexpected pregnancy not
1: crisis pregnancy. right right i love that amen to that well deacon we need to take a quick break but when we come back sure. from the break i'd love to dive into some of the blessings of just being open about your faith in your place of work especially in the healthcare field so stay with us sure. we'll be right back
0: this is real presence live where the focus is not on the evil around us but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good we're local engaging and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.
2: This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic with Bible study. The sacraments of matrimony and holy orders are sacraments of service, which means they are directed towards the salvation of others. Through holy orders, a priest gives himself to the church through service to the faithful. Through marriage, the spouses give themselves to one another in service and love. Popular thought tells us marriage is for emotional or romantic fulfillment alone, but the Church, in her wisdom, calls us to something much greater, a communion of life and love. This holds true also for the Sacrament of Holy Orders. A priest does not become a priest for personal fulfillment. He is consecrated for the sanctification of the body of Christ. The church is fortified and consecrated through these sacraments of service. Whatever your vocation, how can you deepen the way you serve those around you today?
3: Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace. Power. Purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision offers vision therapy services for children and adults. Symptoms of poor reading comprehension, headaches, tired eyes, and poor coordination can be indicators of eye movement conditions which affect reading and learning. Eye movement disorders are often undetected by school vision screenings and regular eye exams. For more information about how vision therapy can help treat these conditions, our website is www.lumen.vision. What if you could earn a degree that offers the best of both worlds, an MBA and a master's degree in philosophy? The University of Mary offers one degree that combines world-class business training with a careful study of life's deepest questions through their combined MBA, MA, and philosophy program. By earning one degree in both philosophy and business online, you will rigorously engage the big ideas needed to address professional challenges. Visit catholicprofessional.life.
0: This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show.
2: Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Janine Bitson, and I'm Teresa Curley. And we've been having a wonderful discussion with Dr. Glenn Ritter. Uh, from the Diocese of Sioux Falls. He's also a deacon with the Diocese of Sioux Falls, and we're just so grateful that he's sharing his story, uh, his story in the medical field, his story as a deacon, um, and also his story with his own family um, and how NFP, Natural Family Planning, uh, became part of their life. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about... um, you know what inspired your decision to be an NFP doctor only and then also how you help The Crisis Pregnancy Center, uh, and how you learned about Pope Paul VI and Humanae Vitae. So it's just like so awesome that you were just (laughs) dogged about learning. Like why, why, why? And and the reason I say that is because there's still a lot of confusion, you know, within our Catholic circles about natural family planning, about you know contraception and pro life issues. And it's it's mind boggling. But how we educate ourselves and how we're pastoral to others. Is so vitally important um, that uh, they're able to listen and receive um, the things that uh, our, our faith believes. So, can you tell us what natural family planning is for listeners that might be driving down the road that maybe haven't heard about it before? Oh, well, yeah,
3: yeah. Well, natural family planning has always been the Catholic teaching to learn what your bodies can tell you about what is going on. And just like Christ coming to us as a human being says this human body is pretty interesting, and I want to share it with you guys and show you how to do it right. And uh, so the natural family planning basically is paying attention to the signals that your body gives you, and primarily oriented towards women uh, because you learn very quickly that if all of us were as fertile as men are, we'd all have like 25 or 30 children. Uh, which is not very practical or prudent in today's society in most cases. And uh, so basically once you learn about the almost always that is only fertile for a few days every cycle, they say, well, we can work around this fertility to accomplish the goals of planning our family. And the great other benefit of the natural method is it encourages, compels, great communication between the couple. So that the divorce rate for people that use natural methods is rated at like 4% or less compared to 50-plus percent in society, even in the Catholic population who are quote, contraceptive. So just the faith is not... Helped that much, but the natural family planning that follows the faith does. And it's it's not anything foreign to us, it's natural. So it just makes sense when we look at it to pay attention to the dynamic variable that allows us to plan family, and that is the wonder and genius of women. So it elevates women in the society, where in most cases, certainly contraception demeans women. And so this brings the women up. And and I said, well, it's it makes us equal. And I said, no, it does more than that. It elevates women to the point men can only decide what sex the child is going to be. The women decide whether the child or not. Mm-hmm. And so I never get a talk without seeing some women kind of pay attention and sit up straighter in their chairs and "Wow, well, this is kind of a cool thing. And then they really learn to appreciate the beauty of fertility that they have, that men can in no way share in other than through the act of
2: help create that child. So it's
3: cooperating.
2: It is. It's it's cooperating with God's plan, and um, it it is truly a beautiful, beautiful thing that couples can share with each other. I I agree with the communication and all of that. Uh, During the break, we were kind of talking, you know, when my husband and I were getting married, that was kind of like a newer thing on the forefront. You know, it wasn't... uh, taught as well as it is in marriage classes um, you know now it was kinda just something like hey we're at Breezy Point on our honeymoon. Let's go to Brainerd and take a class, you know. And who does that on their honeymoon, right? <laughs> but exactly. it was really a gift to each other to do that, and um, and so it was really a, a special, you know, encounter, and so um, so very important. So, what have been some of the blessings of being open about your faith and beliefs in your office as a, a medical doctor?
3: Well, that has always been a curious thing, because as I was kind of reverting back into a stronger Catholic faith, you know, people were realizing that, the staff at the office was realizing that, and they would start getting gifts at birthday, uh, Christmas, and things like that, and they were all scriptural things, like plaques that have scripture readings on them, and at first I was just sticking them all in my personal little office space, and after a while i go, man, I'm running out of a wall space. And learning again that, you know, it's taught in medical school, you keep your, don't be, you know, trying to share that and upsetting people. And I go, you know, I think I'm just going to put some of this stuff up in my exam rooms. And I have never had more positive comments about anything I've had on the walls than I have about those plaques with the scriptural verses and pictures of uh, scriptural uh, events. And I walk into a room with a young mother and got ready to do examination on a well child. And the mother's writing this verse down on a piece of paper. And I go, never would they do that before. Huh. And I've prayed with patients and I said, my prayers are with you for this. You know, I still have to diagnose things that are not the most, you know, graceful to have. So, cancers, heart disease, things like that, diabetes, all those things. And I said, oh, my prayer for you is that we will learn to deal with this. and." and live with it, and they really appreciate that. I just see patients kind of come alive, and, you know, to the point where I'm about ready to retire, and none of them want to leave me, and I go, wait a minute, I'm only working two days a week now. I need some of you guys to go to other doctors, and they go, well, we'll just stay until you quit. I go, <laughs> it's not, it's not going to work very well. <laughs> That's
2: awesome. But
3: but it's, it's been beautiful. And like I said, I delivered babies in the practice of medicine to the point where I'm delivering these to babies that I delivered, second generation. Yeah. So it's it's been an um, experience. And my partners love my patients. Whenever I'm gone, they see my patients and go, man, you have a great patient load. I go, yeah. And I'm honest with them. And they know who I am.
1: And they know I'm a human
3: just like they are. So, uh, it it bridges that gap that used to be such a big one between doctor and patient, and now it's like, no, we're we're partners on the team. And actually, you're the captain. The patient is the captain. I I might be the coach and saying, and here's what I think we should do, and the captain is the one that says, no, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So you get them to own their health, and then they are better at taking care of it themselves.
1: Well, doctor, I'm curious. Have you had any, like, Negative kickback from patients when you first introduce them to NFP, or has it been openly confronted by other medical personnel? Like, do you have to fight for it, or are people pretty receptive?
3: Well, and that was interesting too, because in the formation there at John or at Pope Paul the Sixth down in Omaha, they said, you know, you're going to upset some of your partners. You're, like I said, you're going to lose some patients, and and part of my program because I, I was the teacher of the method, and I was also a medical consultant of the method. And part of the of the protocol was you have to present this to your partners. Uh, and at that time, none of them were Catholic, just me. And I go, I don't know how this is going to go. And um, and I presented to them, and I had evangelical, you know, very pro-life individuals, but evangelicals come out. I'm glad you can do that. More power to you. I said, well, you want to do it too? No. <laughs> but they accept it. And I'll be walking in the hospital to go give his presentation. And I see a surgeon that I know is not Catholic. He goes, Oh, what are you doing here? And I'm carrying, that, at that time, I'm carrying a slide projector. And I go, I'm giving a talk. He goes, Oh, what are you giving a talk on? I said, uh, Okay, here it comes. <laughs> and I go, I'm doing it on natural planning. He goes, Oh, cool. And that was the end of the conversation because he didn't really know much about what I was talking about. But he, I go, I, I, This has not been a harm for me at all. And though it could be, and it's predicted to be in society, depending on where you are, I'm sure if you try and do that in the middle of Harlem, you know, New York, or in the middle of San Francisco, some of the parts of San Francisco, it might not be very well accepted. But I have taken no grief from patients at all, and sometimes they follow it, and sometimes they don't. And I said, well, before you make your decision on what you want to do, I'm not going to contracept you, so you're going to have to go elsewhere if you want that, but I would really like you to at least go look at this method. And a lot of them will then do it. And when I was teaching the method, I said, "You will be here at this intro session, (laughs) you know, because you're my patient. This is what you're going to do." And they would. And so I had kind of had a captive audience. But then I got very comfortable with, "said You, you can either do this or not. That's up to you." Uh, But I really like you to look at it. Yeah. So, uh, so it's not given me any particular grief, and I've just always been completely surprised and very pleased that I haven't really been challenged. I've been challenged by a couple of physicians that I would try and incorporate. You know, I might pick up a new baby from an OBGYN. This person, the mom has had problems with depression or something. I said, you're at great risk for postpartum depression. Why don't we try this addition of this progesterone that may help you? And I will get a nasty gram from the from the OBGYN that says, you take care of your patient, I'll take care of mine. And I go, if that's the worst I get, well, that's I can tolerate that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I do think that there's a a great need for this. I know even my daughter, she's like, I can't go back to this doctor anymore because all they want to do is push contraception. And, you know, and so there are a lot of patients out there that desire this. And so for any listeners out there um, who, want to have that kind of a doctor relationship, uh, Catholic Medical Association uh, doctors, maybe yeah. you can connect uh, in that way in your local diocese and, and seek that out because it is just so important. Um, we only have less than a minute. Do you have any final thoughts at all?
3: Well, one of the things I would say when you're talking about Catholic Medical Association is yes, you can Google Catholic Medical Association and is any doctor that might be listening go, oh, what the heck is that? I never heard of it. Nor did I until about 10 years ago. And so, that yeah, you can find a doctor that would agree with the Catholic magisterium. So you're not missing anything in care. You're gaining a whole bunch, not only for you, but for the next generation to teach them as well.
2: Well, thank you so much. We're gonna have to say goodbye, but we really appreciate you joining us on Real Presence Radio, uh, Real Presence Live this morning. So we're gonna take a quick break, but stay with us. We'll be right back on the other side.